fellow sixes, welcome to Life Uninhibited. I'm your host, Kristen Messagy, Enneagram Six, and Life Coach for Sixes. Today, we talk about present time orientation, scaring ourselves, and where in the world is the inner authority that we are all told we need to connect to. I really had fun recording this one. I hope you enjoy. sixes. Welcome back. First and foremost, I really want to thank those of you that went and left a rating or a view for the podcast after my mild rant last week about getting three-star rating. I really appreciate it. I felt a little petty even talking about that. But you know, one of the things about living less inhibited is get to be petty sometimes. We get to say what we want to say. We get to be who we are in the moment. Like that's a whole big part of the point of this work is that it's just it's just okay to not always be like the most um, kind of well put together version of myself that my, that part of me says I need to be. It's like, no, you can just be and talk about what's on my mind. And anyway, very appreciative. And I hope, um, I hope y'all thought that was kind of funny because it was kind of funny. The whole thing of it. Okay. Few topics I want to cover today. One, we're going to talk about present time orientation. This is really going to hook in with what we talked about last week in regards to emotional realness. They're very, very related. Let's just start there and then I'll talk about a couple other things. So again, the law of threes in the Enneagram. You have three numbers that are future time oriented, three numbers that are past time oriented, and three numbers that are present time oriented. And the teaching goes that sixes are present time oriented with ones and twos. This is often very confusing for sixes because in our minds, we tend to live in either thinking about the past, you know, terrible things that have happened or a terrifying future, right? All the things that are probably going to go wrong and et cetera, et cetera. So so it can be confusing for sixes because it doesn't feel like we're in the present at all. And in fact, one of the things as sixes I tend to hear a lot is I want to be more in the present. So this whole idea that I'm present time oriented just doesn't seem to make sense logically as we think of our experience. So here's how I think about it. When last week we were talking about emotional realness, it was this idea that our emotions in any given moment really become the most important thing in the room and the thing that we are certainly navigating and the thing that we are wanting everyone to navigate with us, right? We want that validation for the current feeling. We want to, we want other people to kind of go there with us. Not too far though, that can, you know, get us tripped up, but it's really all about the sensations that I'm experiencing in my body. However, what we have access to is not the feelings that are happening in our body, but our reactions.
reactions to the feelings happening in our body, which for the most part includes a whole bunch of narrative. And the narrative stretches into the past and into the future, but it's all about the current emotions. This is the same thing with present time orientation. We are oriented to the current feelings in our body, but we're usually more oriented to the narratives that are happening in our head, the things that we are using to scare ourselves. So this, I'm going to rope in er, another idea that I had never really heard it this way until mm, a couple different times recently with Tom Condon, who says sixes scare themselves. He's a six too. So I think he gets to say that to us and it's okay. Sixes scare themselves. And we do this in order to feel safe. It's very interesting uh, mechanism we have going on. And this is just true for all numbers. It's like the thing that we're trying to do, our, our strategies to do that ultimately just don't get us where we want to go. So, you know, we could we could say, well, why would we do that? If we want to feel safe, you would think that we would just tell ourselves that everything is okay. But in fact, we do the opposite. We keep danger front and center in our minds. And that is how our system thinks we are doing the work needed to keep ourselves safe, right? If we just imagine setting things down, we usually get a story in our head that we are being irresponsible. You know, someone's got to look out for this. Someone's got to be paying attention to the details. Someone's got to be seeing all the things that could befall us. So we have these mechanisms inside that really keep us from doing the things that actually would have us feeling better in the moment. We create stories that make us feel terrible in the moment, but then part of us is like, yes, okay, we are doing the thing that keeps us safe. Okay, so to bring it back to present time orientation, we are reacting with story to the emotions in our body. Very, very often it is anxiety of some sort. So anxiety comes online. I mean, I don't want to be too like methodical about how I think this works. Because it's it can be so random, like what stories do appear. But basically, let's just say something happens. And then our reaction to anything happening is it runs through first our mind, our thinking center, but not in a methodical way, right? Thoughts just appear and they tend to appear in terms of what's dangerous about this thing that just happened, right? I must orient to the potential danger. That is the, the filter. So imagine something happens outside, it hits this filter of must find the danger. So then our brain offers us up all of this danger. And then there's all this emotion produced. So then we have all these feelings on board that we don't necessarily have the belief 
that we can manage these feelings. So it's like, okay, I'm going to date myself with this, but do you know those toys? It's a terrible analogy. I'm, I'm just going to run with it. Okay. I call them water weenies. I don't know what they're actually called, but they're these things and they're filled with water. And if you squish them on one end, it like pops out the other end. And then if you grab that end, it pops out on the other end. They're, they're really pretty um, fun to play with, but that's not the point. I imagine like a, a six body kind of doing this where it's like any, we have all this emotion, but because we don't know what to do with it, we don't like it. We don't want it there. It's like we tense up against it. We tense up against it. And all of the energy whoop, flies up into our mind. And we just have all of these narratives. So the first set of thoughts that come is what is the danger I need to orient here? A whole bunch of emotion is created, tense up against that emotion, and the narratives just become stronger and stronger. And the narratives run into the past, right? Here's all the evidence that I have of why this terrible thing's gonna happen. And the narratives run into the future. Here's all the bad things that I think are probably gonna happen. Now, so much of that is unconscious. So we didn't choose any of that stuff that I just described. It literally just happens. And then what we're dealing with in the present, most of the time, is our reactions to all of whatever the current feeling is. Now, this also goes both ways. If we do have a moment of things going well, things going how we want, this person did the thing that we wanted them to do. And so we have this moment of like, ah, everything's okay. Our brain can do the same thing. It'll go back into the past and we'll get all these, all these reframes around like, oh yeah, you know, it's kind of always been this way. Things have always kind of worked out in this situation or this relationship. And our brain will go to the future with that. Like, yeah, this really is going to work out. This is going to be okay. So the narratives don't only go negative. If we have a positive emotion, the narratives will extend to the past and the future in a positive way. This happens just randomly, occasionally. This does tend to happen more and more as we become more grounded in our own selves, in our own sense of ourselves. As we have awareness of our own emotions and we're able to develop the capacity to be with them, we just tend to do our present time thing and it just looks more positive or more stable and secure because that's what we've been able to build inside ourselves. Okay, two sort of real world things I want to add to this more high level theoretical enneagramical, I think I just made up a word, explanation to some of the strategies and things that might be going on inside of ourselves. Two things. One, what the heck is being present separate from this whole present time orientation thing? In our minds, and I just had a great conversation with someone about this offline, um, which is making it you know, really front and center for me to want to highlight here with you all. So this whole idea of being present, being in the present moment. And even we can get um, a little more spiritual about it, right? And being connected to presence. 
all these kinds of things. The ideas that we have about that tend to be fairly unrealistic. And frankly, a lot of times, these are concepts that we end up using against ourselves as if, if we're sort of doing life right, if we're doing things right, we're going to have this experience, this internal experience of peace and presence and being present to all the things that are in front of us, the things that are important to us. And it's going to feel good. This is sort of the story. And these stories get kind of lodged into our subconscious. We want to pull them out and look at them. I mean, you can ask yourself this right now. What does your brain say if you were doing everything right? And maybe if you could get everyone around you to do everything right, how would you be feeling? And how should you be feeling most of the time? It's really interesting to ask ourselves this question because your brain will have some kind of cockamamie idea of what should be going on. And it doesn't generally have a lot of um, relevance to real life with humans and people and partners and friends and kids and jobs and, you know, pandemics and all the things that we really are navigating in this life. So maybe your brain had a very realistic, balanced answer to that question. I haven't yet met anyone whose brain automatically offers a nice balanced answer to that question. Normally it's like, yeah, I would know I was doing a good job if things were working how I want them to and I felt good. It's very interesting. If you go back to everything I was just talking about, For us to let ourselves feel good requires shifting, changing, managing, letting go of a strategy that we have on board to meet our ultimate subconscious goal, which is to feel safe. So that's just interesting. But that doesn't mean we're doing anything wrong. That doesn't mean we are doing anything wrong. It means our adaptive strategies are alive and well. And that is being a human. Okay, so one of the ways we start to shift that is actually to become present with whatever is going on for us in the moment. This means becoming present and aware of our feelings in any given moment without doing anything about it. Disconnecting from the narratives and noticing all the physical sensations. And this is where we really start to see that water weenie thing happening. I see this in session all of the time. When we can, if possible, disconnect from the narratives and start to explore the feelings so badly, everything in the six wants to go back up into the brain and start talking about the things again, the details, the this thing that happened and this thing that's going to happen. And get into like validating and justifying because the internal experience is so uncomfortable. And so we're building capacity to be present with discomfort. And this just isn't what our brain says should be happening. Our brain is like, well, when I do the thing for me, when I orient to myself, it should feel good. But before we really can get there, The work is to orient to our own internal discomfort and be present to it. And what does it mean to be present to something? For me, I'll just give an example. Like if I'm trying to be present to my kids' heart emotions, 
I'm just letting it be. I'm like, yep, mm -hmm, I'm validating it. Maybe I'm naming it. Like, oh, you seem really upset. I'm, I'm able to just be with them and not try to change their experience. I'm just watching it. I'm seeing it happen. This is not a really good parenting day, by the way. It doesn't always go like this. But I'm really just present to what they're experiencing. And then I see in not too long, their experience starts to shift and change. Now, most of us didn't get that kind of parenting. Okay, that's just true. So that is the kind of being present to that we get to build here on this, wherever we are on our personal journey at this time. This is the presence, the being present to that we get to do to ourselves. Now, what also might come up with that is a lot of grief that we weren't attended to in that way. We may not ever have been attended to in that way just yet in our lives. We may have been. We may have had a teacher or a friend or a pastor or a animal. I don't know. We may have had this experience. Before. So sometimes it's useful to go back and ask, okay, when have I been when has someone been present to my emotional experience? If we don't have that experience, that is hard and that is okay. This is one of the things that coaching, therapy, things like this can offer is sometimes being met with acceptance and presence for the first time. And that's just real. So so what? So I just wanted to put that out there. This is what I mean by being present. It's being present to discomfort. We can usually access what this would look like if we imagine we're doing it for someone else. Even if we're not very practiced at it, we can imagine what it would be like to be present to someone in their discomfort. I do also want to add here, if that is hard for you, that's also okay. Because sometimes when we are with people in their discomfort, we get all kinds of activated and we actually are trying to talk them out of their emotion, um, discount their emotion, trying to make sense of their emotion. We do that too, right? These things don't just happen to us. We do that also to people, especially if we have some positive oriented fixes in our body. Okay, I just I was about to go off on a whole tangent. Many sixes themselves really struggle with empathy and being present to other people's emotions. That's okay. These are all things we can build. If that's something important to us to build, I'm leading with a large assumption that that is something that we want to build. This is one of my sort of underlying philosophies is that we do want to learn to be present to our own emotional selves uh, and maybe that of others. I don't know. I'm more concerned that you can do it for yourself. Okay. So being present often means feeling like crap on purpose. This is what I'm saying. This is the bottom line here. Being present means feeling like crap on purpose, feeling what you are feeling on purpose, letting it be. Will that orient to something more desirable? Maybe, but that's not the reason. That's not the point. It's not so that you get a better feeling. It's so that 
You develop the skill of being with yourself, of increasing your capacity to be with whatever is present for you. Okay. One last bit I want to say about all this. Perhaps I have created a bit of doom and gloom, which not my intention. However, I don't, I don't want to leave us in this place of, you know, we've got all these mechanisms that keep us feeling scared and we need to orient to feeling scared and feeling crappy and, you know, have a nice day. No, let's, let's bring it a little bit um, into the realm of what is some of the work that can really help us two things. One, begin to, there has to be a willingness to set down the story and orient to something more trustworthy. And as we've established, our emotions may not be that trustworthy thing for lots of reasons. One, we don't really know how to be with them. We don't know how to feel them. Two, emotions are not the guides of the universe. Actually, this is actually interesting. Our minds are actually sort of the the guide, the end that we want. We want to be able to access our inner knowing. We want to be able to have open hearts and then use our minds to actually decide how to move forward. What we are dealing with is because of our very scared, sort of rigid hearts and our not real ability to connect with our and be with our bodies is we aren't able to access that true discernment of the mind. And so what I'm talking about, the reason we might do all of this, lean into discomfort and feel hard things and, you know, maybe be willing to soften our attachment to some of these scary narratives is so that we can access the thinking that's just right there to come into our lives and use use it in its proper way, which is clear discernment of next action, the thing that's right in front of me. Our feelings don't get to decide that. And even our internal knowing, our sense of things doesn't get to decide that. It really is our mind, our thinking center in its sort of most unfettered form is the decider. So, okay. What I want to focus on, however, is where in the world is our inner authority? Because in order to let go of the narratives, and remember the narratives are there because our system believes the narratives are what is keeping us safe, what is keeping us afloat, what is helping us orient to the danger so that we can prepare for it, right? That's the whole, that's part of the whole deal. So in order to set that down, we have to be willing to grab onto something else. The else, the other thing that would be amazing to be able to find is our inner authority. And that's a nice word. And what in the world does it mean? It means that sensation in us that we can access that just tells us we know what we know. In that moment, we don't have to, it doesn't mean we know that thing forevermore. It just means we know 
in that moment. And what I want you to hear me say is it's not the same for all sixes. Not everybody has a gut knowing, which is a whole thing that that's just, it's just a problematic uh, statement because it's not true for everyone. Many sixes will have a gut knowing and that's going to be found in your actual, uh, like your gut. It's going to be found in there. You're going to have a sense. It's going to feel like solid or um, it, it'll just, it's quiet and it's just there, but it's very much in your gut. For many sixes I work with, it's actually in their heart center. When we're able to, you know, kind of work through the narratives or set them aside and really access things in the body when they know something for them, it shows up in their heart area. So actually their chest. Some sixes really need to hear themselves say the things. And as they are talking things through, their sense of things comes online. So that's more of like, um, I don't know what that feeling is because I don't have that particular knowing. But the sixes that I work with, that is their knowing. It's like their whole being just kind of, oh, it's like, there I am. It's like a sense of sturdiness. And like, I, fa I found myself. It's not necessarily located anywhere in the body. So, and there, there could be others, right? These are just three that I would invite you to start looking for. And it, it doesn't have to be that much of a mystery where it is, because you can practice with things that you sure as heck know what they are, like your name, uh, a cup in front of you. I'm looking at a cup whatever. You can use things. You can use your name. You can use things that you know you believe in your heart, or I didn't mean to say in your heart, things that you know you believe. And you can ask yourself, how do I know I believe that? Where do I know that? For some of my clients, it really is like just, a, it's a sense of things. It's like, oh, like their posture kind of changes when they're like, okay, I know that. There is some way, and there may be more than one, there's some way, there is some way, maybe more than one that you know when you know. And the more you can practice becoming aware of where that is or what that is, you're going to be safer to set down some of the narrative, storytelling, back and forth, all of that stuff, because you're going to have somewhere else to orient to. This is a process. This is a big part of the process and the work that I do with sixes, because we can't just be expected to think differently or to do anything differently if we don't know what else we would do. Otherwise, it's just like jumping off a cliff into total uncertainty. And you may have some counterphobic sixes who kind of act like they do that, but they're getting their sense of security somewhere else. It's it's not like that's the thing to do is to just leap. There tends to be quite the uh, backlash to that kind of thing that sixes, some sixes can do. Okay, so that was what I wanted to end with. Where is your inner authority? Can you practice just seeing where it resides in your body? I want to give a shout out to my teacher, Ingrid Hurwitz, for this one because 
I'm doing a certification of hers and we were having a one-on-one and I said something with like a real sureness. And she just said to me offhand, like, where do you know that? I believe you what you just said. Where do you know that? And I was like, what? And it just stopped me in my tracks and it really had me orient to, oh, I know that right here in my gut. That's where I know that. And that is the place that I rely on so often in my life to tell me when I have come to my conclusion about something. Okay, lots more to say about this, but I definitely wanted to give the hat tip to Ingrid because it was in that moment that I was like, oh, right. I really need to be helping my clients find their inner authority, not just talk about it. Like, what good does it do to talk about it? That's no good. Because then we just stay up in our head. We want to know where in our unique body and system that resides so we can build a relationship with it and learn to trust it, right? Learn to trust ourselves in what we know, what we think, what we believe, and also know that that can change over time. That's just part of being a human. Okay. That was a lot. I will talk to you all soon. Bye. Okay. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. If you want to chat with me about coaching, about what I do, please reach out. You can go to my website. There's a connect form. We can discuss the one-on-one work I do and also becoming possibly part of my group coaching program for sixes. I would love to talk with you more about all of that. If your interest is piqued and you have questions, I want to answer them. Talk to you soon.